Um, I want to talk to you today about um, God's work in the world, and our series is called Surprise. And last week we unpacked the concept of the series, and we said that when we live a few years, we come to make certain presumptions about life, but then surprises come along and rewrite the narrative. That's what makes surprise such an interesting and, for many of us, a blessed thing. And we said that Christmas is all about surprises, from lighting the Christmas trees to unexpected show-ups to um, just wrapping the presents. We always look for that element of surprise that rewrites the narrative. But as we unpack the first Christmas story, what we discover is that the Christmas story isn't just filled with surprises, it's nothing but surprises. God is coming along time after time after time in the Christmas narrative, which by the way, if you're looking for it in the Bible, it's in the Gospels of Matthew 1 and 2, and also in the Gospel of Luke 1 and 2. So what happens is God is coming along time after time after time with these shocking surprises, and it's his way of saying, surprise, the world is not what you thought it was. Last week, we opened it up with Zechariah and Elizabeth where the Christmas story opens and, and our message was called Surprise, It's Not Too Late. Um, let me just uh, throw this across the bow for you to think about as we open this talk. Do you ever suspicion that there might be more to you than you've discovered? I, you know, psychologists are, are not sure about recurring dreams. I'm not sure about them myself. I just know this. In all my adult years, at least since I've been at New Spring, I only have two recurring dreams, but they come up all the time. And the first dream is I'm always dreaming that I leave New Spring to go to another church. And I mean, I started having that dream when I was 29, and I wake up in sweats, and I'm like, why in the world would I do such a thing? And there's always that moment when I wake up and think, oh, I'm still at New Spring. So <laughs> that's one, I don't know if it has anything to do with the message, just that's one of the recurring dreams I have. The, the other recurring dream I had, oddly enough, I had it last night. I mean, it's like Mary Alice and I buy this old house, and this old house has several levels. But all we ever do is live on the main, main floor. And I suspicion that up above, there are libraries and living space, and it's like I never go up there. And in my dream, I'm always asking the question, why don't I go up to the upper floors? Now, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze myself, but I do think this. I think that deep down, I have a fear that that's what I do in my life. And maybe that's why I have that dream that I sort of live on the ground floor and there are parts of my life, parts of my destiny that I never explore. The other thought that I have that helps me understand or at least get into the concept of what I want to discuss with you today is cruise control. Now, you know, you put cruise control on in your automobile when you don't expect any surprises, right? I mean, I started to say, in fact, I did say this last night, you use cruise control on K96 and then Kellogg, and then I said, no, you don't use K96 on Kellogg anymore. Um, I think Kellogg is going to be finished uh, during my grandchildren's life, and it's going to be, maybe I'll be able to look down from heaven and see the finished road. Um, but when you get on K96 out here, you put cruise control on because you expect not to have any surprises. In fact, we live in a world today where cruises are getting real sophisticated. Mine's got this radar uh, effect in which if you get too close to a car, it'll start slowing your car down. I, first time I had a car with that, I wanted to take it into the shop. I thought something was wrong with my cruise control. And it started slowing down. And I, in fact, I was on my way when I realized, oh, no, I have that. And I thought, boy, it is tough to get a lecture on ethics from something that's inanimate, you know? But you put cruise on when you don't expect surprises. You expect to be able to just, well, we say, put it on cruise. I had an experience the other day. 
Um, I think I shared with you, you know, we had a 14-year-old dog, and that dog, we had, we had to put the dog to sleep because he was having some just awful pain. And so after we put him to sleep, had him put to sleep, for a couple of days, Mary Alice and I just sat around and cried, you know? And then she'd have found a puppy. And the thing about finding a... See, I, here's the thing. I, I thought we, all we'd have to do is just find one here in Wichita. Silly me. You know what? When you had a dog for a long time, you have to put that dog to sleep. It is amazing how far you will drive to buy a dog. <laughs> and so Marilyn's found this little puppy. And so like two, I think it's like two weeks ago today, we had the car loaded as soon as church second church service on Sunday was over. And we drove and I put the cruise on all the way there. But on the way back, we were paying attention to the puppy and I got on the wrong road and we wound up taking all these back roads. And the weird thing about it was it took forever to get off those back roads to get back to the main highway. But you know, all those back roads, I discovered little towns, and every time we'd come to a little town, we'd find a park, we'd get the dog out, play with the dog. Finally, we got on the main highway, and all of a sudden, I discovered something about my humanity. The trip that I put on cruise felt like it took four times as long as the trip that I took on the back roads. And I'm not saying you shouldn't go on the highways. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just beginning to wonder if a lot of us have lived our lives on the ground floor when there are other floors that could be explored. And I'm also wondering if we've become comfortable with putting life on cruise. And when someone challenges us about whether or not our life is meaningful, we will say, oh, my life is difficult and it's everything I can do to just keep going. And that is why I have to have my life on cruise. Well, today I want to talk to you about the most famous woman in the world. In fact, Throughout the years, for many years, she had the most famous name in history. Her name is Mary, and many of us have known about her through the years. Some of you grew up in a faith tradition in which Mary was emphasized. Some of you grew up in a faith tradition where she wasn't emphasized, and there's a reason for that. Um, about four centuries into, uh, after, the, after the life of Christ, uh, the Roman Empire was declining, and the Roman em Emperor Constantine decided to just declare the whole country Christian. How many of you know you can't do that? So he just decided he was going to declare the whole empire Christian. Well, that was kind of funky because to be honest, right up until that time, you could be killed for being a Christian. Well, now you got the problem where you could be killed for not being a Christian. And so Constantine had to find a way to make all the pagans who'd been inculcated in the Roman way of thinking feel okay about being Christian. So what he did was he took all these elements of the pagan world and he he sort of Christianized them. Um, for instance, they had gods, and so instead of, well, in the Christian world, there's only one God, so how about we call them saints? And they had a queen of heaven, but there's no queen of heaven in Christianity, so what if we called Mary the queen of heaven? You know, the thing about it is, Constantine didn't make the whole world Christian. He just tried to put some Christian flavoring in what was already there. I drink an orange vitamin C drink every morning and I stir it into water, but I know it's not orange juice. And that's what happened with Constantine. He put a little Christian flavoring in Roman water, stirred it all up, but it wasn't orange juice. It wasn't Christianity. So what happened is Mary began to be worshiped. And then there were other doctrines that suddenly appeared. I mean, they'd never been there before, but things like Mary was always a virgin. Well, that was kind of a problem because Jesus had brothers and sisters, so no, Mary, Mary, that didn't come along for centuries. No, no, that's not true. But then the Protestant Reformation came and went the other way and went too far, and all of a sudden we couldn't talk about Mary and people in the Protestant world. And both of them are a mistake. 
Because Mary shouldn't be worshiped and she sure shouldn't be overlooked. And when we call her blessed, when we call her blessed in the sense that she was a virgin when she had Christ, I mean, it is appropriate to call her the blessed virgin because she said she was blessed. So what are we going to pick up? I mean, here we are at New Spring. We're not really part of a denomination anyway. We're just trying to explore the Bible and learn, learn the truth, and we don't have any religious trappings. So at New Spring, and all of you watching online and watching around the world on television, what are we going to learn about the Virgin Mary today that's real? Well, let's start with this. God is recruiting. In, in the book of First, uh, Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, the Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord move back and forth, or to and fro throughout the earth, that he may, and look at this words, str- these two words, strongly support those whose heart is completely his. So God is recruiting in our world. And what's he recruiting? He's recruiting for men and women. And what does he want to do with him? Oh, I love this, man. I tell you, if I don't get anything else across today, let's just let this rain on us. God wants to strongly support I mean, who's here today who couldn't use some of the strong support of God? You know, I have friends, not me, but I have friends who are very wealthy, and they're always looking for people to invest in. They're looking for companies to invest in. That is exactly what that verse is saying. God's eyes are going back and forth in the world, and he's looking for women to invest in. He's looking for men to invest in. He's not going to throw his, he's not going to throw his power around loosely, but he's looking for people whose hearts are completely his. God, let's start with that. Before we understand Mary, let's just understand God is busy recruiting. And here's the thing. He wants to do at least three things in our world. And, and, and I hope that this gets you off the main floor and starts getting you into the upper levels of your life's house. And I hope this causes you to take it off cruise. God is looking for people who he can use to create p- pockets of functionality. Now, I'm, I'm just going to, someday we'll talk about last day's things here at New Spring, but let me just tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that this world as we know it is not going to end well. It is dysfunctional today. It has always been dysfunctional. It's about, if I read the Bible correctly, to get a lot more dysfunctional. How many of you have noticed that we live in a dysfunctional country? Politics is dysfunctional, sports is dysfunctional, family relationships is dysfunctional, Hollywood's dysfunctional. Just, it just doesn't work the way it's supposed to. God is looking for people so that he can create pockets of functionality in a dysfunctional world. Number two, God is looking for people to create zones of hope in a hopeless world. I mean, you know what? I, I don't have any... I don't have any idea in my head that makes that this world is suddenly going to make itself perfect or even good for that matter. But I do know this. I know that God uses women and men to create zones of hope. And then Jesus made a comment. He said, there's a broad road that leads to destruction. There's a narrow road that leads to everlasting life. So God is looking for women and men who will be signposts of deliverance to get people off the road to destruction. So God is, is, is looking for people. And you know, when I look at the people who are picked in the Bible, people like Abraham, um, and Deborah, you know, in the time of the judges, God couldn't get a man to be courageous, and he found Deborah, and she led the nation, and he, he, Noah, and people like Esther and Daniel. Um, when, when, an interesting thing about God picking those people, recruiting those people, is that they are always surprised to be picked. You know, it's not like they were saying, oh, thank, thank you, God, for picking me. I knew you were looking at me. I knew you saw me all the time. 
I'm glad you finally got around to noticing what I can do. God never picks that kind of person. He always picks people who are surprised to be picked because they are people with flaws. You know, these are people with, pro- with, with personal flaws. And oftentimes, they're people in obscurity. Like some of you who walked in today and you think, everybody will just see right through me. Nobody will even see me today. Well, that's how the people feel that God picks. And then on top of that, notice how he often picks people in tough situations. I mean, it would be like, thank you, God, for picking me, but right now is not a good time. You know? (laughs) I don't know if they do this today. I'm I'm an old man. Sometimes I realize just how old I am. when, when, When you're playing pickup basketball or football or soccer, do you still pick teams? We did that when I was in school, man. Even, even when I was a young adult, not, even back here at the church when we used to have the gym, we used to play pickup basketball. You get a couple of captains and then this big group of people and then each captain gets to pick in, in rotation a team. Well, how, how do you pick the team? You pick the best athletes, right? And so oftentimes, you know, I remember when I was, you know, picking teams sometimes and I have friends who are good athletes and they just kind of give me signals, you know, just. Like you pick me, we're gonna win. We're gonna win. And then on top of that, and, and, and do you remember this? And those of you who can remember this, after you pick them, they get in your ear, and they start telling you who to pick. Get her. Get, get, get her. Get her. Get her. Get her. Get her. You know. Now here's what I want to ask you. Get that picture in your head if you can remember it. Do you remember that kid that wasn't gonna get picked until the end? Do you, you remember how he used to just kind of go around to the back, just sort of? Like, get toward the back, sort of like, I'm, you know, I'm going to act like this don't matter very much because uh, nobody's going to pick me. So, you know, when they get down to the end and somebody says, okay, I'll take him, he's like, oh, okay, well, like, it doesn't matter so much. You get that picture in your head? Those are the people God picks. And he doesn't pick them last. He has a way of picking them first. You know, I remember just a few times I'd be playing, you know, in Texas where I grew up, all the balls had corners. So I grew up playing football. And, and so, you know, there'd be a time when there'd be a kid. I remember I almost called his name. He was like all district, all state. He's the best football player I ever saw. When I was in middle school, the opposing coach said, you take that guy off the field or I'm taking my team off the field. Cause he was just, he just created havoc. He was a great athlete. And I remember Jimmy sometimes when he's picking t- picking teams, Jimmy sometimes would pick that kid that would be the last person. You know why? Because he's such a good athlete, he'd be fine. Do you understand that that's when, when God picks the last person, God is saying, I'll, I'll pick Mark over there. He's not much, but I'll be fine. God is, God is picking people. He's picking teams. Okay. God came along to Mary and he said, surprise. Now, Mary was a girl living in obscurity. She didn't think anybody saw her. On top of that, she was living in Nazareth. And we know from the Bible that that was like the wrong side of the spiritual tracks. And God came along to Mary to be the most famous woman in history. And he said, surprise, I choose you. Now, somebody could say, well, okay, I get that. The Virgin Mary, you know, all about her. Got statues in my car and all that. She's an extraordinary woman and sort of has a halo around her. Um, what does that have to do with me? Let me give you some thoughts. The first thought you need to really wrap your mind in and heart is that God is in our world doing great things. 
I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff going down in our world. I'm telling you, I'm tired of watching. I don't like to watch news. I don't like to watch politics. I don't like to even watch sports anymore. Can't believe how that's been screwed up. But you know, you, you take a look at what's going on in our world, and it's so dysfunctional. Sometimes the news is so bad, we can forget about the fact that God is in our world, and he's still doing great things. God is doing great things in the world. In Psalm 77, verse 14, the Bible says, you are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. So even though the nations may be dysfunctional, God is doing awesome things. And then we've already seen that God is looking for people to join him in what he's doing. In 1 Corinthians 3, 9, the Bible says we're his co-workers. That's cool. Now, to me, this is what gets really interesting. God never puts his children into busy work. I remember when I was in college, I used to work at a men's clothing store my, my freshman and sophomore year. And I loved selling. And this time of year, it wasn't a problem to work because it was the Christmas season. I mean, we were just, we were just it was one customer after another. But there were times when there were no customers in the store and the boss wanted us to look busy. And he used to say to us, just straighten the stock. I want to tell you something. That is the hardest work I've ever done is to look busy on a job that doesn't matter. And we would go to him sometimes and we would say, well, all the stock is straight. And he'd say, well, just, just go straighten it anyway. Now, I want you to understand something. When God is looking for people to do his work, God's not making up busy work. It's not like God is saying, there's Mark down there, and if I don't get him to do something, he's going to get in trouble. So I'm just going to make up this, this unimportant job for him to do. No, it's not like that. Not at all like that. God has jobs to be done, and every one of his children is especially and supernaturally gifted to do something that desperately needs to be done. So I, I love that tonight, and I, or this morning, and I want you to think about that. God is doing great things. He's recruiting in our world. He's looking for people to join him, and he comes along to you and me, and he says, I choose you. Now, for a few moments, if you will let me have just a little time to talk about Mary I would like to talk about her specifically. When God picked Mary, he was doing the biggest thing he ever did in the world. And he needed a woman. And he could only have a woman. The only person who could do the job was a woman. And I'm going to need your permission to kind of dive deep into something that some people might call theology, but it's just Bible. So I want to explain to you why the biggest thing God ever did the biggest job he ever did, he needed a woman and only a woman. Okay, you have to go back to the very beginning of the Bible. God put two human beings on the planet, and he basically said, you're going to live forever. You're going to be in a perfect environment. Everything is going to be perfect. But God never makes robots. He always has to give people a choice. And God made this choice as simple as possible. And, and, he, and sometimes people talk about the tree and the fruit. Just, guys, that's a waste of time important thing to remember is God needed to give them a choice. So it wasn't like God said, 50-50, half of the fruit is okay for you to eat, half of the fruit you can't touch. I mean, God was like saying, 99% you can have, 1% I don't want you to touch, because if you do, or he did said, I don't want you to eat it, because he said, if you do eat it, you will die. And he didn't mean die like we think about physical death. He meant, the word death means separation. He meant you'll be eternally separated from God. And we know from Scripture that not only were Adam and Eve separated from God when they did wrong, but that's when the whole world fell apart and sin entered the world and all the bad things that we know about came into our world. God had told them. He said, you know good right now, but I don't want you to eat this 
fruit, because if you do, you're going to know both. You're going to know the good and the evil side, which is where we are today. So now, after Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and Adam is the one who is responsible because God charged him not to do it, there's a problem. Because Adam and Eve are now doomed, and all their children are doomed, and they don't have any hope, because how are they going to go back and uneat the fruit? Well, this is why I'm saying this is the biggest thing that God ever did. God had, a pl- he had to make a plan. Oh, this is so cool. Please, please hang with me. This is what Christmas is about. God had to make a plan whereby he could pay for what Adam and Eve and all the rest of the human race did wrong and set up a do-over or another choice. But he's got a huge issue on his hands because, and this lady, you're going to love this. You've suspicioned it for years. I just want you to know this is theologically true. The sin nature is passed on from the father. How many of you knew that was true all along? You just came to New Spring today and you had it theologically confirmed for you. That is true. I'm not, I don't, you know, it is true. So how's God going to have a person who can do successfully what Adam and Eve did not do, but not inherit the nature of sin and the judgment that would come through the human father, Okay. So now, okay, Adam, Adam and Eve both sinned. They're standing before God. On top of that, God has called Satan up because God has said, okay, you guys did wrong. And Adam said, it's not my fault. It's my wife's fault. And Eve said, it's not my fault. The devil made me do it. And so God now is talking to the devil. Okay, so now I want you to pick this up. God's talking to Satan. This is in Genesis 3. Listen, I don't know what you think are the most important verses in your Bible. This is definitely one of the top 10, if not one of the top five. Okay, here we go. God says, and I will cause hostility between you, that's Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. A better translation would say the seed of the woman, which is kind of interesting because normally we think of seed as being the male contribution to the zygote or to the, to the, to the first cell of human life. In fact, the very, uh, the very biological fluid by which a man can conceive, the very word means seed. But here God says the seed of the woman, okay? God says to Satan, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, here's the thing you need to understand. There are two people that God is talking about and neither of them are there that day. The woman is not Eve and the offspring is not her kids. In fact, Eve didn't understand this. And when Cain was born, she said, oh, this is the fulfillment of that. And boy, Cain was sure not a gift from God, was he? No. So God is saying a woman is going to come along someday and she is going to have a child and there's not going to be any male seed associated with it. And I love this and I wish I had time to preach. The clock is running out on me. I got to just get this finished real fast. And God said to Satan, you think you want, I mean, just read between the lines. God is saying to Satan, you think you won. You think you screwed up my creation. You know what? Someday, a woman is going to have a child, and you're going to bruise his heel. It takes about three days to get over a bruise heel, doesn't it? He said, you're going to bruise his heel. He's going to crush your head. Well, you know what's interesting about that? Jesus bruised his heel when he was crushing Satan's head. He's a defeated foe. Well, we could talk about that today. That'd be good. Okay. How do you know it's not Eve? Because 750 years before Jesus was born, long after Adam and Eve, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So it wasn't Eve 
and it wasn't her kids. He was talking about a woman and the most important thing God was ever going to do in his world is what we would call a plan of redemption, a way for human beings to have a relationship with God, even though everything got screwed up in the garden. And God said, I need a woman. I'm going to pick a special woman. She's going to be a virgin. There won't be the male seed passing on the sin nature. There's going to be this special human being. And what he will do will give people an opportunity to make another choice. Well, somebody could say, well, well, Mark, thank you. I mean, it's really nice. I appreciate you talking about stretching and, and getting off cruise control with this idea of a virgin having a baby. You know what our problem is? We look, everything, we look at everything from the wrong end. Because see, what happens is we're trying to analyze. Do you know what, do you know what the etymology of the word analyze or analysis is? It comes from two Greek words. Ana, which means up, and luine, which means loosen. That's what happens. See, when we analyze something, we have something that's intact and we're trying to loosen it up and figure it out. Do you understand God never analyzes anything because he doesn't need to loosen anything he tightened up in the first place? I mean, somebody can say, well, I just don't think it's possible for a virgin to have a child. Hey, the first people who got here didn't have either a human father or human mother. See, God doesn't analyze, he determines and so consequently, he said, and, and again, it, it's not just so that God could show out and say, hey, I can get a baby here without a human father. He had a purpose in mind. We've already discussed that. But before you can understand why God picked Mary, um, I want to give you a verse that God said to Mary's great, 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 great grandfather or about her great grandfather, David. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, the Bible says, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. Mary's like, I don't understand. Why'd you pick me? And God is like, I don't look at what people look at. Oh, isn't this good today? How many of you here today, you're like, man, I get ripped by people all the time. Well, in our world, that's not uncommon. I get bullied by people all the time. Well, I'm sorry for that. But isn't it good to know God doesn't look at you the way people look at you? God looks, on, you know, God looks at what you got under the hood. He looks at what you have in the heart. You know, the thing about, you know, here's the thing. You wonder what people would have thought when they saw Mary? They wouldn't have thought anything because they wouldn't have seen her. They'd have just walked, looked right through her. But as we saw, God doesn't look on the outside. 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord looks at the heart. Now, in the just four or five minutes that we have left today, maybe five, six minutes, um, let me show you some characteristics that Mary had. So what was God looking for? When, when God's looking for a person to invest in, I noticed five things about Mary. Number one, Mary was humble. Uh, some of you grew up with a faith tradition that talks about the Magnificat, which is a song that Mary sang, and Mary composed it. And in this song, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, generations will call me blessed. Hey, I love this. Mary magnified God and she said, people will call me blessed. She didn't bless God and say, everybody will magnify me. That's what a lot of people want today. But she said, they will magnify God and bless me. Second thing I noticed, Mary was thankful. In, in Luke 149, she said, the mighty one has done great things for me. Guys, let me tell you, there is an invisible arrow over every one of our heads, either pointing up or down. If you're a thankful person, you may be in tough situations today, but your arrow is pointing up. You're on the increase. On the other hand, if you're not a person of gratitude, your arrow is pointing down. And no matter how smart you are, 
your arrow is still pointing down. Okay? Number three, this is a surprising one. Mary was hungry. I don't mean hungry like some of you who missed breakfast this morning. Mary was hungry to see God do great things. In Luke 153, she said he has filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. Hey, there's no understating number four. Mary was available. You know what I've watched? I've watched through the years as people will hear a talk about God in their lives, and they'll sort of like take their heart and put it out of God's reach. It's like, I got stuff I want to do with my time, my money, my energy, my talent, and God, you know what? If I have anything left over, I'll give it to you. If I have a doggy bag from the meal I eat in life, I will give you the doggy bag. Not Mary. Mary was available. We don't have time to discuss this today, but for Mary to get pregnant in the middle of an engagement, which was legal and binding, I mean, she could have been, she could have been in prison. She could have even been put to death. And the thing about it is, and we'll talk about this next week when we talk about Joseph, God didn't exactly write this in the sky. I mean, we have the Bible, but the people in Mary's day, they didn't have Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 where they can look it up and say, oh, the reason why Mary's showing is, oh, she's, uh, she's the one God picked. No. Look at this. The angel answered, the, explaining, the angel, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, for nothing is impossible with God. Verse 38, Mary said, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. I want to be cautious with number five because I don't want to cause guilt to come up in anybody's heart, but we need to be straight on something. Mary chose carefully. God needed a woman and he needed a virgin. And Mary could have engaged in stuff in her life that would have, at least for this specific job, would have disqualified her. Now, in all of our lives, I'm not saying today that God is looking for a virgin. I'm just saying this. God is telling us to be careful how we live. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, the Bible says, Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Hey, Mary's making good choices. Your actions, your thoughts, your attitudes are like seed in life. And if you plant seed, you'll get a harvest. Some people here today might say, well, I'm having a bad life. I don't know about that. You're having a bad harvest. If you stop planting bad seed, start planting good seed, you have a good harvest. That's the great thing. Even if some of us have lived carelessly in the past, we, we, can, turn, we can come back to God, ask for forgiveness, and start over today. Start making good choices, making good decisions. Well, that's my talk. God is doing great things. He's recruiting. He's looking for people to join him. He wants everybody here today. If you're a God follower, he's got a job for you. And I want you to understand that God's work is bigger than preachers or church leaders or missionaries. In fact, that just happens to be my assignment. Every one of us here today, I want to challenge you to do several things. Number one, see yourself as his ambassador. Whatever you do today, tomorrow, anytime, just see yourself as God's representative in that place. Number two, until God changes your assignment, regard where, whatever you're doing as far as your occupations, being a student, whatever, regard whatever you're doing as God's work in your life. It's your calling until God changes your calling. And this one is huge. See every interaction with every person, whether someone's in your way in the parking lot as you leave today, 
You know, the only birds I need to see are the ones that are flying by. I mean, how would this change our lives? If we saw every person we met is I'm a God ambassador and God is doing great things in the world. And this is my opportunity to show kindness and love and grace and charity. It'd be cool. Wouldn't it be cool to interview Mary up in heaven? I, I, I can't, I, I, see, I want to meet her. And you know, you're gonna, and I think Mary will tell you, you know what, I, think, I, thought, I thought I was the last person in the world that God would use. And yet, surprise, he chose me. I, I need to finish real fast, and I'll, I'll try to make this story real quick because our service needs to end right now. If you look at me, and you know I've been a pastor for 41 years, you probably would assume that the people who've had the greatest influence in my life were preachers or professors. And those people did have a lot of influence in my life. But I want to tell you real quickly about a guy named Bill Bentley. When I was like an 8-year-old boy, 9-year-old boy at my church, on Sunday night, you know, they had the big people had their, had their classes and stuff, but they need to have a class for kids. And I was in a small church and we were a rowdy bunch of boys. And so my dad, who was pastor, he asked a guy in our church named Bill Bentley. Now Bill Bentley, he'd never been to college. He was not a, he was not a religious leader or anything, just a good man in our church. And I looked up to him because he'd been an ex-Marine and his ears, you know, his ears showed that he had cauliflower ears. He'd been a boxer. He's a man's man. So dad said to Bill, would you just like take this group of boys and talk to them? On Sunday nights. Bill didn't have any experience at that. So I remember the first night he came in, he sat down. We were in the, under the stairs in the baptistry. You know, they had a little changing room, and that's where we were. And Bill Bentley said, Boys, I'm going to teach you the Roman road. The Roman road? What's he doing? I mean, I'm a pastor's kid, but I don't know what the Roman road is. Well, he said, There are some verses in the book of Romans, and he said, They're in an order, and if you memorize them, you'll know how you can take the book of you can take those verses and you can lead somebody to Christ. And he started with Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He said that's what puts us all in the same place. We're all sinners. Well, what's going to happen to us because we've sinned? He said, boys, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Wages is like a paycheck. You work on a job, you get a paycheck. He said, you sin, the wages of sin is death. And he said, that death, boys, is not the death where you die and they put your body in the church. He said, that is eternal separation from God. That's hell. He said, aren't you glad that that verse doesn't end right there? He said, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he told us, he said, that love of God, what's that about? Then he took us to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He said, I want you to memorize this verse. But God has shown us his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then he said, now that, you know what? Once you know that, that Jesus died for you, you are ready to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. So he said, now I want you to memorize Romans 10, 9 that says, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And he said, now, how will you know? How will you know that God has heard your prayer? He took us then over to Romans 10, 13. And he said, boys, this is my favorite verse of all. He said, Romans 10, 13 says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, Bill started taking me out on Saturday afternoons and we started visiting people. And even as 11, 12-year-old boy, I learned to share my faith in Jesus Christ. How many thousands of times do you think I've taken those verses? 
and led somebody to Christ. How many times have I stood right here every weekend and said, Romans 10, 13 says, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. A layman who worked in a factory changed my life because when God came along and said, surprise, I pick you to work with a group of rowdy nine-year-old boys, he said, here I am, I'm ready to go. And I'm 61 years old and Bill's still living through me through the work that he did. God is saying, I'm looking for people and I choose you. Thanks for being here.